Hello everyone, my name is Lauren. And I'm Cooper. And we're the Thrive Initiative. We host meaningful discussions with professionals in the fields of mental health and neuroscience. We hope to spark conversations surrounding mental health, provide teenagers with resources and self-care tools, and inspire a generation of mental health advocates. Welcome to our podcast. Just a quick reminder that the information included in this podcast is for educational purposes only and is not intended to be a substitute for professional care. If you feel that you need more assistance or support, please check out thriveinitiative.org for resources and referrals. Now, welcome to episode two of the Thrive Podcast. The 2020 election is in a little over a week. With the pandemic and the many challenges it poses, this is an incredibly stressful election, one like no other. Licensed psychotherapist Sarah Sowery is based out in Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania. She has been working in this field for over 20 years and offers a unique perspective on anxiety. Today, we are joined by her to discuss an issue that is extremely relevant at the moment, election stress and anxiety. We are really grateful to have her here to discuss. Welcome, Sarah. We are so happy to have you here with us today to discuss something that is certainly impacting us during this time. Thanks for having me. Thank you for, for giving us your time. We're really excited. So starting off, we would love for our listeners to know more about you. What is your background working in mental health and psychology? What fields have you studied and worked in throughout your career? Thank you for having me here. My undergrad degree actually is, was in a totally different field. It was in journalism. And I worked for a small newspaper for a while out of college. And I realized that I was so focused on how people were doing after I actually wrote the story. And I covered some really hard things. I covered an accidental drowning at our local park. And I covered a murder-suicide. And I covered a carbon monoxide poisoning where an entire family had died. And what I found that was bothering me was weeks after the story, I'm still wondering how are the family members doing that lost their loved ones or, you know, how did somebody cope after such a difficult tragedy? And that's what kind of put the idea in my head. Maybe I'm in the wrong field. So that's what made me decide to go and get my MSW, my master's in clinical social work. And it ended up being a really good fit because if you think about it, when you're in journalism, you're trying to get people to tell you their story. And that's also actually what I do as a psychotherapist, except as a psychotherapist, of course, you know, I also then try to support them through making the changes or grieving the losses. So I've been a therapist 26 plus years now and absolutely love it. I've worked with a whole lot of different populations, teens, kids, adults, older adults, nursing home patients. And I've sort of settled in after I raised my own kids About six years ago, I started my own practice, and that has been just a wonderful transition for me. And I also do a lot of other stuff. I'm into improv, Toastmasters, the public speaking group. I've taken some acting classes and singing classes. And I encourage my clients to actually do the same. Find their passion. And it doesn't have to be one thing. It could be a whole bunch of different activities. But I think, you know, the more you take care of yourself and pursue your goals, you can support those around you better too. That's amazing. Thank you so much for sharing. And now just shifting gears a little bit and focusing on the election, because I know that you offer a great perspective on that. Um, The term election stress disorder was coined in 2016 after Dr. Stephen Stonsey observed extreme stress and resentment surrounding the 2016 election. What exactly is election stress disorder? It is 
as it's not a diagnosable disorder just to put that out there but it's certainly something i've seen a lot with my clients lately i've noticed it a lot in fact um, after the debates i see an uptick kind of the next few days people almost want to take a break from whatever they're in therapy for and say well, can we talk about you know what happened at the debates or or it triggers something sometimes you know people with ptsd post-traumatic stress disorder sometimes when they see you know certain things on tv or in social media it actually triggers them um so some of the physical disturbances is that maybe after you watch a debate or you're scrolling through and you're maybe you know reading or getting too involved in so social media for example maybe getting an argument in an argument with somebody on social media if you find yourself doing those kinds of things if you find yourself having sleep disturbances for instances or your eating patterns even might be changing. You're eating too much if you use food as a way to cope, or if not, you might be forgetting to eat or just not have an appetite, kind of, you know, the literal feeling of feeling sick to your stomach and don't want to eat. So those are a couple of the physical symptoms. Of course, you might even get shaky or and the other issues might be, you might be irritable. You might have a problem focus or, you know, in focusing or concentrating on whatever task you're trying to complete. So those are some of the things you might notice about yourself. The key with all this, of course, those can be general symptoms of depression or anxiety, but when, when they're especially seem to be tied to something regarding the election or your candidate or the other candidate or whoever, if you, if you notice that it seems to be connected to conversation or social media regarding the election, then it's probably this undiagnosable disorder that, as you said, Stephen Stosny, coined a few years back election stress disorder and i think it can affect all different ages i mean certainly with my practice i see it mostly with adults and then bringing it back to your podcast teens especially i love that teens these days are so cued in not all of them but i'm just comparing to when i was a teen 40 years ago i, I certainly did not was not aware of everything that was going on in politics the way so many teens and young people are. So I applaud you all for doing this podcast and bringing it even more to light. I totally agree. I think especially with social media, it's allowed for our age group to be a lot more politically engaged. On the flip side, that kind of leads to overconsumption of media at times um, and leads to this very stressed out, intense feeling. How can we be more mindful of our media consumption and what are some signs that one needs to kind of disconnect from the media because it's stressing them out too much, especially pertaining to the election? Well, first of all, no judgment on anyone that does that because you ask my husband and I am one of the guilty ones for this. I probably follow social media too much sometimes and I think a lot of us do that. If you find yourself more engaged in the media than you are with what's actually in your life, the people that are in your life, the activities, the responsibilities, your work, your school. If you find yourself more preoccupied with what, what the latest thing is on Facebook or Instagram or whatever, that might be a sign. If you find yourself, as I said earlier, being you know unusually irritable or irritated at people, um, maybe that's a sign to step back and really get back to your own life. You know, Think about things that make you happy think about doing something creative or fun or positive that can just get, help you focus on the things that you, you know, enjoy in your own life. And that actually also leads perfectly into my next question. I wanted to talk about carving out opportunities to disconnect from the media 
And you mentioned your disco on the deck idea where you're having people over to be socially distanced and dance on the deck um, and just kind of let go of their worries. So how has this been helpful for you and brought balance to this strange time? Well, anyone that knows me well knows I am a disco diva. I grew up with the music of the 70s. I love it. And I've introduced it to a lot of people, even, you know, friends that are younger than me that didn't maybe grow up with that. But when the lockdown happened, so many of those activities that we all count on in our own lives, I mean, I know not everybody loves disco, but in my life, disco was one of them. And when we got on the lockdown, I decided to start these disco on the deck nights, and they have been a ball. And we do everything outside with social distancing guidelines followed. And what I've really enjoyed seeing, we've had probably six of them in the last eight weeks, almost every weekend. I think my husband's ready for a break. But anyway, it has been really, really awesome to see people's stress melt away when they start dancing. And I think that's something teens should definitely um, try to do, which I think you touched on is find something that you're passionate about and that you love to do um, because it is really stressful right now. And I think it's easy to just kind of get sucked in by the media and schoolwork. Um, and sometimes it's nice to just disconnect and you know, dance to disco music if that's what you're into. Um, I like to dance to 2010s music. That's kind of the music I grew up with. So that's what I love dancing to. Um, and I think that's a great tool for teens to use is to kind of find something that brings them joy right now. Absolutely. And I can completely picture that. I can completely picture teens dancing and enjoying it. Like I said, it could be any kind of music, whatever, whatever you love. And we forget so often that, especially during this time, that we actually, teenagers depend, I mean, all human beings depend on that social interaction. So much of our lives is made up of that. And so for me, I've noticed that I can go a week without seeing any of my friends and I think that I'm fine. And then what, suddenly when I do, I notice a drastic improvement in my mood and my overall well-being because just being with someone and connecting with someone outside of your your home and the, the bubble that we are locked in um 24 7 is so refreshing um and i think that teens often feel like we don't feel like they don't need it um that they can just stay inside watch tv and look on their phone and all will be okay but when we actually do make an effort to see people and connect with our peers, it does make a big difference. And speaking on behalf of teens, um, a lot of the political climate is out of our control, especially because we can't vote. And I was wondering how can we as teens focus on, as you say, controlling the controllables? Great question. One of my tips would obviously be, we touched on it a little bit, but just really being mindful and managing your use of media, social media, and even conversations. Paying attention. I think sometimes we get so caught up in things that we just go on autopilot and, and we're not paying attention. So I think that's one key is to pay attention first and then make decisions accordingly that would be healthy for you. And another thing I like to talk about is values-based living. I don't know if you've heard of that concept, but it's it's the idea of what are your values? Think about what your values are and then really live them in your day-to-day -day life. For example, we believe in you know, helping out the environment and, and yet 
we get a new water bottle every day, a disposable water bottle. So simple shifts in, in your daily lifestyle that really support your beliefs, I think, kind of can help you feel more in control of things. Yes, you can't control the world or the country or the election, but you can certainly control the things that you believe in and promote those ideas in your own life. I also think volunteering can be helpful. I mean, there's always that idea that volunteering makes you feel good about yourself. It makes you obviously feel good to help others and it's helpful to people when you volunteer. My niece and her friend doing, I think it's an adopt a highway program where, you know, a beautiful sunny day in Pittsburgh and they're out there getting, you know, people's trash and cleaning up the highways before, before winter. Things like that, I think, are so, so amazing. We've all felt that. We've all stepped out and done something special for someone. And, you know, it's amazing how much better you feel about yourself and your life when you can do that. I also think self-care can be another part of this. You know, all of the above could be self-care, but even the more traditional self-care of how are you spending your time? What's a good way to unwind and relax other than social media? And I'm not against social media. I love it. So I'm just saying, I think we need to have a balance with it as we do with anything else in our lives. And self-care can be things like, you know, making sure you're eating well and eating nutritious food and getting enough sleep. And a lot of people I noticed, including me, you know, kind of got off the regular sleep schedule once the lockdown hit a few months ago and maybe you're still struggling with that. So really managing that, again, controlling what you can control and taking time for yourself and to care for yourself. And the lastly, I would say, if all of this is just getting to be too much, I wrote an article a few years ago, a couple years ago about teens and suicide, and it really opened my eyes as to the, the complexity of issues that teens are facing these days, and the depression and anxiety and all that being exacerbated by the pandemic now and the election, especially right at this moment. So of course, as a mental health professional, I would advise anyone that's really struggling to go ahead and reach out. A lot of insurance companies are being very generous right now with, you know, covering, covering even co-pays and everything like that. And also most therapists are doing online therapy. So it's easier than ever to really um, get connected with a therapist. I would recommend going on psychologytoday.com. You can search by your location, your zip code, the issues you're struggling with, you know, what kind of therapist you're looking for. You can look, see different people's profiles, what insurance you have. And, you know, therapists realize that people need, need us right now. So we are available. I just also wanted to say a couple things actually, but um, piggybacking off of what you just said about seeking help on our website, the thriveinitiative.org, we have a whole resources and recommendations page. And on that recommendations page, we have a lot of apps where that are all free, um, some of which offer free therapy sessions or tools or, you know, kind of spaces that allow you to express yourselves and how you are feeling. And just to touch on that note of volunteering, I know this is not for everyone, but I have gotten really into volunteer, political volunteering and organizing um, with, the, with the approach of this election. And although I didn't really think that it was something that I was interested in doing at first, talking to potential voters by phone banking into different states, states that are really crucial for this upcoming election, has been 
extremely rewarding, but also made me feel like I, I do have some control that I can make an effort to change something or take action in a world that is so, so out of my control. How can teens deal with political differences within their own household? Um, I know for many, family dynamics have been tense leading up to this election, especially with um, differing political views within households. Yes, I have definitely seen that with my own clients and really even in my own life. I have clients that are married to people of the opposite, you know, that are voting for the opposite candidate. I have clients that disagree with their parents, for example. And I think it just really depends on you and your family and and what works for you. Some people just decide to agree to disagree. That's not always the easiest thing to do. But if it's causing so much tension to have these conversations that it's affecting you, you to the point that you can't talk to people that you want to still have a relationship with, then some people are doing that, at least until the election, at least until some of this anxiety for everyone settles down a little bit. Um, so sometimes agreeing to disagree, but I've also seen people, I'll say for my own family, we do an extended family Zoom call with my siblings and niece and nephews and my kids and grand, my parents and all that, my dad and stepmom. And we have been having some very interesting open dialogues, frankly, about different political views. And it has opened my eyes quite a bit because as in probably most families, not everyone is on the same page. Mm -hmm. And kind of piggybacking off of that, um, how can teens deal with kind of more unproductive conversations, conversations that um, don't feel civil? How can they disengage and end a conversation when it's just feeling like it's not going anywhere? Well, I think this maybe would go back to what I had said earlier about being mindful of your consumption. And that can include media, but it can also include conversations. And, and you're right, sometimes we just get in a, you know, headbutting type of uh, argument with somebody, nobody's gonna win. And what's it doing? It's just adding more to the election stress that was already there, probably for both people involved. So I would say, you know, talking about the controllables, you do have the option to just, you know, walk away from a conversation. You don't have to be rude about it or mean. But you can just say, you know, I'm not really up to discussing this right now and, and take a break. I wanted to talk about after November 3rd. Um, and given the pandemic, this year's election is very different than all those in years prior and results may not be definite for up to a month after the election. I was wondering how we can, I guess, stay informed amidst all of this uncertainty between the election and then the time that the actual results come out? Well, hopefully if people start doing the things we talked about, you know, kind of earlier in this interview, as far as the self-care and beginning to manage that media consumption, I think you raise a good point. It's not all over on November 3rd. So I think establishing those routines now is good. You know, we're talking about it about a week out. 10 days out before the election. And then I think it's important to keep keep it up, you know, after. And these are things really just, they're not even just about the election, they're just about life too, and, and managing your stress and all that. So I think these are good life skills that you can take with you, you know, in your future as well. I think you and Lauren brought up a great point that November 3rd isn't necessarily the end of the election, especially this year. 
So something that I've been doing is kind of managing my expectation about when I'm going to get a result and when we're going to get closure um, for this election, you know, being over. And I just have to kind of manage in my head, like, it's probably not going to be November 3rd. And I just have to prepare myself going into that, not to have this expectation that all of this stress I've been feeling is just going to melt away on November 3rd because it very well might not. Yeah, good point. And anything you can think about ahead of time like that is good because I think, you know, in addition to the uncontrollables, a lot of us fear the, you know, the things we don't know. You shared a lot of really helpful and amazing information um, and we're really grateful for your time. Thank you so much, Sarah. Yeah, well, thank you so much for having me. I'm excited to be part of your podcast and I just wish you all the best. Thank you so much to Sarah for joining us. We really appreciate your time and your insights. To our listeners, we'll see you soon. With love, The Thrive Initiative.